Hello, everyone, and welcome today to Trinity Sermons. Here at Trinity Church Streetsville, we want to share with you sermons that inspire and encourage you in your faith journey, as together we learn to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. Today, we are finishing up our sermon series, Playing With Fire. The title of today's sermon is Slow Burn, and we will be talking about how Jesus challenged the idea of the Sabbath and brought about a new way to see this day of rest. Please make sure to follow our podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and we hope that you enjoy the sermon. God bless. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when, he was, when his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you have a sheep and and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The word of the Lord. You probably have noticed that over the past few weeks, we have had a lovely uh, fire that has been burning outside of the church as uh, we began our services each and every week. There it is. And it was faithfully tended by, by Elizabeth and by other people like, like Bill or Lauren or by Robin and, and Chris here. And uh, you know what was always funny, though, is that um, after, you know, right about this time during the service, actually, they would come back into the sanctuary. And you could always tell when they they were coming back into the church because they smelled like smoke. They smelled like smoke. In fact, Chris would sit right behind me over here, and I could always tell, oh, Chris is back because he, he smelled like smoke. Now, I'm not saying that they smelled like bad. Actually, I like the smell of smoke. I don't know about you, but um, I wanted to say that at this point, I think all of us should probably be smelling a bit like smoke because for the past uh, several weeks, 
We have been looking at Jesus and how Jesus played with fire. We have been looking at how Jesus lighted and, and, you know, ignited and scorched and torched his way through the Bible as he, as he challenged and as he confronted some of the cherished symbols and ideas that God's people held most close to them. He was really, really playing with fire. So for example, four weeks ago, we saw Jesus just scorch the whole idea of Holy Land, right? And then uh, three weeks ago, we saw how Jesus singed the pages of Scripture with his own interpretation of what the Bible really meant. And then two weeks ago, we saw how, how Jesus seared a brand new image of family into our imaginations. And then last week, we saw how Jesus was even uh, leaving the temple the temple itself smoldering in a pile of ashes. In all of these ways, Jesus was seriously, seriously playing with fire. And I think it is safe to say for that reason that, that whenever Jesus walked into a room, he probably smelled a lot like smoke. You could smell Jesus coming from a mile away there. Now, um, I want to say that when you play with fire, of course, we know that you get burned, right? That's kind of one of the solutions. That's one of the things that happens when you play with fire. And so if you're ever wondering, why on earth did Jesus get crucified? The answer is because he said things and he did things that really got under people's skin and he challenged and he prodded and he poked at things that people held so dear. So for example, when you saw Jesus uh, in our gospel reading that you just read, and the very last line of the gospel reading is, so the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. You might say, what is all that about? Well, by now we should know he's doing it again. He's playing with fire again. What did you do this time, Jesus? What did you say this time? What fire did you light that has got people so upset this time? Well, today, what we are going to do is we are going to clear the smoke. We're going to clear the smoke. We're going to go out with a bang, and we're going to look at yet one more just one more very precious symbol, one more very precious idea that Jesus just couldn't resist. He kind of set fire to, and he challenged people. And of course, that tradition, that idea, that practice that I'm talking about was the practice of Sabbath, the Sabbath rest. I need to tell you, everybody, that the Sabbath rest was both a practice and a commandment that Israel obeyed and defended with fierce intensity. Fierce, fierce intensity. The Sabbath, that day of rest, was so essential to who they were that actually the surrounding nations kind of began to associate Israel with this strange kind of lazy day that they had once a week. Who are these people? Why do they take that day off every week? And I want to, I want to tell you that it was essential. It was tied to their very, very identity. You did not do work on the Sabbath for fear of death. And I really do mean for fear of death, because you can read in the scriptures, you can read it, for example, in the book of Numbers, there was this fellow one day, and he went out, and he started gathering firewood on the Sabbath, and that was a big, big no-no, and so the assembly took him outside the camp, and what they do? Oh, Larry, you shouldn't really do that. They had a good talk with him. They kind of sorted it out with him. No, they stoned him to death. They stoned him to death. 
You do not mess with the symbol of Sabbath. You do not mess with this idea of taking a rest. Israel and Sabbath were inseparable from the very, very beginning. And I actually do mean the very beginning, because if you go and you flip to the very first pages of your Bible, you will see the story of how this Sabbath idea came to pass, right? There it is, the moment of the, uh, the kind of the ending point of creation, the seventh day, God had finished all the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, and then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the creating work that he had been doing. A lot of people think that actually the seventh day uh, of creation, God uh, didn't create anything. It was the days one, two, three, four, five, and six. God did all his creating, and the seventh day, he didn't do anything. But actually, I want to suggest to you that actually on the seventh day, God created something else. He created something different. In the days one through six, he was creating space and matter. But on day seven, he was creating time. God creates time, right? Day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, God is creating holy objects and holy space and holy outer space and moons and planets and holy earth and holy creatures and holy animals. But then on day seven, he creates something else. He creates holy time, a a special and And just sacred time that is called the Shabbat, the Sabbath, the the seventh day of creation. And and the scriptures kind of seem to tell us that God just kind of sat down in the midst of all that he had created. He celebrated and he delighted in all that he had made. In fact, what I would like you to do this morning, I would like you to imagine, if you will, that this, this cord represents this time. This brand new idea of time that God created on the seventh day of creation, right? This time which began right here on the seventh day, but then it's because God creates time and time is eternal. God's time stretches through all of history. It stretches off into the future. And God's time, God's time, like everything else with God, it culminates in something magnificent in the very end. At the very end of God's time, uh, that rest, which was just like that one day, will reach its fullness, will reach its completion, and there will be an eternal rest. There will be an eternal redemption for all creation and all God's people at the very end of time. So, So that's God's time. That's God's sacred timeline. Now you might say, well, what about then us human beings? Do we, do we operate on God's time? And the answer, I think, unfortunately, would be no. As humans, our timeline uh, is kind of different. We are limited in our time. We, we live by days and weeks and months and years. And our time is actually also kind of holy time, too, because God was there when we're born. God is there for all the days of your life. God is there on the day that you die, and yet our time is shorter. Our time is more limited. God's sacred, holy time stretches across here, and our human time is somewhere below and somewhere much more limited. Now, here is the interesting thing. At some point, well, actually, I'll tell you when it was. It was when Israel had finally been released from slavery in Egypt, Uh, God felt really, really bad that they had been so overworked 
and they had never had a rest. They had not had anything close to this kind of divine rest that God experienced. So God said to them, he said, listen, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you a gift. He says, here's what I want, what I want you to do. I want every seven days, every seven days, I want you to take your time and I want it to cross over with my time. Every seven days, your human time will have a, a moment of overlap with my sacred divine time. Or, or as the scriptures put it, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days, six days, one, two, three, four, five, six, you shall do all your work. And then on the seventh day, what I want you to do is cross over into my time. On the seventh day, you're invited to, to overlap with my sacred time. I'm inviting you into a Sabbath to the Lord your God on the seventh day. So that is the best way, I think, to understand what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is not just, hey, we get to take a day off every seven days. No, no, it's a holy overlap with God's time. Here's a way to maybe help you understand it, and that is like last week we talked about the temple. And one way to understand is that the temple was like a, a overlap of human space with God's space. In the same way, Sabbath is an overlap of human time with God's time, where we get to enter into that rest, that delight, that peace that God has prepared for us once every seven days. The thing is, though, not only were these every seven days uh, an opportunity for great rest and renewal for God's people, but they also were pointers. They also became little signs that every time this happened, it was a sign pointing toward the great rest that was going to happen at the end of time, right? Remember, so, so day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, stick a sign in the ground to remind us that one day a great rest is happening. Stick a sign in the ground, stick a sign in the ground. Every time that they did this, it was a reminder, it was a pointer that history is going somewhere and God's great rest is coming. Now, this is where it gets really cool. God actually decided to go even further than this. He said, not only do I want you to take one every uh, one day in seven and have a rest for yourself, but I want you to take one year in every seven, and I want you to allow that whole year to cross over into my holy time. And so what God did is he created what was called the Sabbath year, the Sabbath year. And on the Sabbath year, not only did human beings get rest, but the land got rest. You see, uh, on the seventh year, uh, the land was not to be tilled or worked. It got a rest. If you were a servant or a slave, you got a rest because you were allowed to be set free if you wanted. On the seventh year, if you had financial difficulties, you got rest because your debts would all be forgiven. So you can see that this Sabbath year idea, this one year every seven years, was an even greater overlap with God's sacred time than even the one in seven day. And as a result of that, that overlap every seven years was an even greater sign. Again, pointing forward to the great day when there would be a rest for all God's people at the end of time. 
Now, I know it sounds crazy, but God went even further than that. God said, you know what? Not only do I want you to take a break once every seven days and enter into my time, and not only do I want you to to take that rest and enter into my time once every seven years, but every seven times seven years, I want you to celebrate this great thing that God calls the Jubilee. And on that seventh year, there's something amazing going to happen. Not only on that year are you going to rest all the land. Not only in that year are you going to rest all your slaves and let them go. Not only that year are you going to forgive all debt. But on that year, you're also going to redistribute all the land all across Israel so that everybody can start over. Everybody can experience redemption. Everybody can have a brand new beginning. This was the Jubilee year. It was the, I mean, you can understand that that was an even greater overlap an even greater overlap of human time and God's time, an even greater experience of God's rest. And I'll say it again, that was an even greater sign, an even greater sign. It would only happen maybe once in your lifetime that you would get a chance to experience the, the Jubilee year, but it was an even greater sign pointing to this future that God had in store for everyone. So, Let's just review. Every seven days, every seven years, every seven times seven years, there was rest and there was renewal, all pointing toward the great future God had in store. Now you might say, Rob, that sounds absolutely fantastic. I love that. I would love nothing more than to experience that for myself. And so your question would be, what, what, what was Jesus' problem with this system? Why was Jesus attacking the Sabbath? And a lot of people... Uh, make a mistake, and they think that actually Jesus' complaint with the Sabbath was that he didn't like the way that the rules of the Sabbath were being enforced. So for example, of course, the, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they had to make up a bunch of rules to let people know what exactly they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath year, and so on and so forth. And yes, it did get kind of complicated. For example, they said on the Sabbath day, you could only walk 2,000 cubits, which is about one kilometer. You couldn't walk any more than one kilometer because if you did, then you were doing work and you had broken the Sabbath commands. Another rule was you weren't allowed to carry any heavy burdens. You weren't allowed to lift things on the Sabbath, which meant that you couldn't wear jewelry on the Sabbath. Because by wearing jewelry, you were bearing a burden. You were carrying something. So no jewelry on the Sabbath. They were also told that on the Sabbath, uh, you uh, could not look in the mirror. You couldn't look in the mirror. Because if you were to look in the mirror, you might see a little gray hair. And if you saw that gray hair, you might be tempted to pluck it out. And by plucking it out, you know what you've just done? You've harvested something. You've reaped. You've reaped. And so therefore, you've done work. So no looking in the mirror on the Sabbath. I'm serious. And then, and then here's my favorite one. Let's say on the Sabbath day, you wanted to have an omelet. You wanted to have an egg. You could have an egg, but you'd have to make sure that the chicken that laid that egg laid the egg on a day that wasn't the Sabbath day. Because if the chicken had laid the egg on the Sabbath day, then the chicken had worked, and that meant that you were breaking the Sabbath by eating the egg. Now, the, the stipulation was you could actually eat an egg from a chicken that laid the egg on the Sabbath day. The only caveat is then you would have to kill the chicken as well. <laughs> Because the chicken had, of course, broken the Sabbath. Now, you can imagine that Jesus thought, oh, my goodness, these, he's probably complaining, you know, all these strange rules. Yeah, Jesus probably had some questions about how this was being enforced. But I want to suggest to you this morning, that was not the main thing that, that Jesus took issue with, with all this Sabbath practice. Are you ready? Here's the real main thing. The real way that Jesus played with fire was this. Get ready. He said, 
He said, hey, you remember that long-awaited time of rest and renewal? You know that promise of some age to come where all things will be made new and everything will finally have its rest and redemption? Remember that? Remember that promise? Yes, yes. Well, Jesus said, look no further and wait no longer because that time has arrived and it has arrived in me and it has arrived in my life. Right? I know Jesus said that God's time and human time overlapped here and here and here and here and here and here. But they overlap most fully and they overlap completely in me. In me, Sabbath reaches its full completion. My time is God's time. My time is Sabbath time. It's all arrived in me. Jesus would say it in other ways. He would, he would say things like this. He would say the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Friends, this was so dangerous for Jesus to say. I hope you understand he's taking his life in his hands when he says stuff like this. What he's essentially saying is that that Sabbath idea that began way back on day seven of creation, seven, 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 all of that was pointing toward, not some, not some future, it was pointing toward him. He was, not me, it was pointing toward him, Right? <laughs> He was saying, it's all going to be fulfilled in me. And, and actually, Jesus is saying in a way that in my lifetime, in my lifetime, all those Sabbath promises, all the rest, all the hope, all the freedom, all the redemption is all being gathered together and all tied together in me and in my time. Right? It, this, is, this is actually how it went down with Jesus. For example, let me give you an example. One day, Jesus went into the synagogue, and he was going to read the scriptures. And so he picked up the part of Isaiah that talks about the great jubilee year. And he picks it up, and he reads it. Then he closes it, and he sits down. And you know what his sermon is? His sermon is this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What are you talking about, Jesus? What you, I'm saying today... That great jubilee year is here in me. And surprise, surprise, they tried to kill him. They tried to throw him off a cliff. He would heal people on the Sabbath when you clearly weren't supposed to heal people on the Sabbath. In our reading this morning, you heard Jesus heal a man with a withered hand. Or take, for example, there was a woman, for example, who had been crippled for 18 years. Now on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to do healing, but Jesus put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. And you know what? They plotted to kill Jesus after this moment, too. Why? Because he wasn't following the Sabbath rules. Instead, he was acting like he was the ruler of the Sabbath. He would say things like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will be the one to give you rest. And they would say, well, Jesus, how can you give us rest? It's not the seventh day. It's, it's not the seventh year. It's not, it's not the 50th year of Jubilee. And he'd say, listen, listen, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I am Sabbath time in the flesh. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The great day is here. The new day has arrived. The day of rest has dawned in me. Guys, these are explosive explosive words. And what he was doing, this is right, he was essentially lighting a fuse to all of these signs. You know, these signs are all going to blow up now, Jesus says. He's going to say, you don't need the Sabbath day sign anymore because the Sabbath has already arrived in its fullness in me. And 
you don't need the seven-year Sabbath year anymore because that rest you're longing for has already arrived in me. And you don't need this anymore because the great jubilee, the great jubilee, the great rest, the great renewal, the great release, it's already arrived in me. He's blowing it all up. And I mean, it makes sense. You don't need signs anymore, right? Would I go down to square one and put up a sign that says, this way to Mississauga? I'm already in Mississauga. doesn't make sense. Why would you sit there in your bed staring at the alarm clock, wondering what time it is, when the sun is already pouring in your window, telling you the time is here, the morning is here? Jesus says, you don't need the signs anymore. You don't need the signs anymore. The real thing has arrived. Paul put it this way. He called all those Sabbath observances, he calls them shadows. They were just shadows of things that were to come. The reality of what was coming has come, and it has come in Jesus. Do you see, I hope you guys are just seeing this, and I don't want to go on too long, but in the same way that Jesus says, I'm the real Holy Land. In the same way that he says, I'm the real Moses. In the same way that he says, I'm the new family. In the same way that he says, I'm the new temple. He is now saying, I am the new Sabbath, and I am here 24-7. And that is the main reason why Christians did not, and Christians still do not, observe all the Old Testament practices that went along with the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath has fully arrived. We don't need the signs anymore. We've already reached our destination. Now, there is another big reason why Christians didn't and don't observe all the old Sabbath observances of the Old Testament anymore. And here it is. Here it is. Of course, Jesus was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified. He was dead and he was buried. And I think they thought that when they had done that, they had snipped his lifeline and that was it for Jesus. But of course, Jesus wasn't operating according to human time. He was operating according to God's time and you cannot stop God's time. And so two days later, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And I want you just to understand this comparison. Just as God rested in that first garden after his creating work was done, Jesus was resurrected in that second garden after his redeeming work was done. But there's a very important difference. What day was it when God rested from his work? It was the one, two, three, four, five, seventh day. What day was it when Jesus was raised from the dead? Does anyone know? It was the first day. In fact, the gospel writers are very anxious to remind us that it was early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, that they went and discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that is the second reason why Christians do not and did not, according to like history books, they did not observe those old Sabbath observances because Jesus had given us a new day. The first day, Sunday, today. And Jesus had so transformed time and space that it was impossible now to go back to the old style of Sabbath keeping. That time had come to an end. Jesus gave us a new rest, and he's given us a new kind of day, making those seventh-day observances obsolete. Just as a side note, that's why I always never quite understood what the big debate was about, you know, should we have... Uh, shops open on Sunday and should the people working on Sunday and there was all these campaigns in the 70s and the 80s and people were fighting about that. It seems to me they were all kind of misguided because what they were really trying to do is take all those seventh day Sabbath observances and rules and transfer them to the first day, day of resurrection 
celebration of Christians. And what I'm trying to say to you is actually, those are very, very different things. Now, I think some of you are probably wondering, oh, that kind of sucks, because this looked really good, and I really was looking forward to kind of incorporating all this nice rest into my life, and now you're saying it's all obsolete because Jesus has come and created this new day, this new Sabbath day. And just as I wrap up this morning, I want to let you know that as always, as always, whenever Jesus takes something away, he always gives us something way better instead. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. You can find your rest in Jesus and you can find that rest 24-7. In some ways, what Jesus has done when he rose from the dead is he has created a perpetual Sabbath. You don't need to wait for a certain day of the week or a certain year in the calendar to find your rest in Jesus. It is always available. And man, oh man, do some of us here need to take advantage of the rest that Jesus has for us. There are some of us here, and you're waking up in the morning, and you are already tired. You, 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 uh, you might be eating well and exercising and even getting good sleep, but the tiredness is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a tiredness in your soul. And you need to hear Jesus say, come to me and let me give you my rest. Or as St. Augustine said, we are restless. Our hearts are restless until we finally rest in God. What I'm telling you is the need for rest has never been greater but the opportunity for rest has never been closer than it is in Jesus. So find your rest in Jesus. Secondly, though, this is where it might sound like I'm going back on what I just said. I'm going to say that we still can practice those Sabbath observances, albeit in a new way. Christians, of all people, should live a life that looks different from the lives of those around us. Different in the sense that we should not be overworking Different in the sense that we should be incorporating times of rest and renewal into our life. Because if Jesus, our Lord, has come, if the Sabbath rest of God is upon us, then shouldn't that make some difference in your calendar? Shouldn't that make some difference in your daily schedule? Shouldn't that change how you plan out your life? Shouldn't there be times of rest built in if Jesus is your rest? Jesus came to set us free from stress. He came to set us free from the expectations others put on us. He came to set us free from the 80-hour work week. came to set us free from our phones, which never, ever seemed to let us rest. And so I would say that if our lives do not in some way, or they are not punctuated by meaningful times of rest, then something is wrong and we have not really grasped what Jesus came to teach us and we have not incorporated it into our life. And what good is it if we never actually put it into practice? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's for you and for me. So make every effort to enter into that rest so that none of us will perish. It doesn't have to look like the Sabbath rule keeping of, of old, which means on your day off, you can fry an egg on your day off, you can go gather firewood and have a bonfire with the family and not be worried that you're going to be stoned to death. You can wear your jewelry on the Sabbath day, right? We're, we're celebrating God's rest and we're doing it in a different way. And here's maybe where I want to invite you to say, how can we do this in a different way? Guys, you got to take this course. 
starting February 21st to March 13th here at Trinity and online. We're doing it hybrid. We are kicking off our Practicing the Way series with a four-week in-depth look at the Sabbath practice. How do we, as Christians, practice Sabbath in our lives today? Don't miss this course. You can register for it. You can sign up on our events page, on our website, and our church app right now. Because, guys, if Jesus has transformed all of time, shouldn't that somehow transform your time? your day-to-day time. Finally, if this is true, if Jesus has risen from the dead, then we need to move beyond the mere idea of rest to resurrection, right? God's time is not just about the cessation of work. It's about the resurrection of life. It's not just about rest. It's about renewal, Right? Which means that, yes, we should find times in our calendars to have some kind of rest. But because it's a perpetual new day that God has created, we also should be finding time in our calendars to heal and practice justice and practice compassion. Jesus healed on the Sabbath day. We should be healing every day. Jesus practiced justice on the Sabbath day. We should be seeking justice each and every day. The, the, the Sabbath is not just about finding time in your calendar to slow things down. It's about finding time in your calendar to raise things up, to raise people up, to raise up the poor, to raise up the hurting, to raise up the sick. We've got to somehow weave that great Sabbath renewal into our own lives. It's not just about rest. It's about resurrection. So, it's done. Our series is done. These five weeks of Jesus playing with fire. As we, uh, as we let all the smoke clear here, I think that the good news is what we see in the end, Jesus didn't just leave us with a whole pile of ashes and destruction, but he's given us life and hope. Yes, Jesus played with fire, but when the smoke clears, we see there's a new land for us. There's, there's a new Moses for us. There's a new family for us. There's a new temple for us. And there's a new rest waiting for us. Jesus didn't just go around destroying these things, leaving us with nothing. He went around and transformed these things and has given us everything. The old is gone, but it has been renewed. And from the ashes that he left behind, new hope and new life rises up. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today, and we hope that you found the sermon something that you will take with you all week long. And make sure to come back again next week, and thanks again for listening. Today's sermon was taken from the February 4th, 2024 service at Trinity Church Streetsville in Mississauga, Ontario.